Welcome to the Goal Crazy Podcast. We explore what it takes to reach your crazy goals. I'm your host, Jason Vanderveer, and together we're going to learn to take life to the next level in Goal Crazy. Let's get started. All right. Hello. Welcome back to the next episode of the Goal Crazy Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to have with me Stephen Howard. He's an entrepreneur, a business owner, a family guy, and a really inspiring individual. He's the founder of Howard and Sons Ice Company, which does some unique things. But Steve, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing really good. Yeah. And uh, you're from Texas, right? So it's probably warmer down there than it is up here in Ohio. <laughs> yeah, I know. Dallas, it's been, a, it's been a great spring, actually. It's not, not too warm yet. Yeah, I imagine it'll come. I've only been to Texas once, and I think I was ex- imagining it to be like super dry with cactuses everywhere, kind of like you see in the cartoons, but that wasn't <laughs> what it was actually like. It's beautiful, but... Texas is great, except for June, July, and August. Yeah, <laughs> it's just crazy hot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I know you've got a really neat business with your ice cutting ice block business. Now, you had started a number of businesses before that, right? A little side things, only one other like business that's active and, and ongoing. But yeah, so it's kind of my, my second main business, but even that, that other business I didn't start. So this is the first real business that I kind of started and it's you know taken off and doing well. Did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur when you were at a young age, or is this just something that the opportunity arose? Actually, you know, I kind of, I thought I wanted to be an entrepreneur when I was younger. And then, you know, the appeal of job security and a paycheck kind of took over early after college and kind of did live that life for 2003, you know, almost 10 years, you know, working for the man and learned a lot. But I think, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm a risk taker by nature, but then my first career was with a very risk averse company. And so that kind of... What was your first career in? So my first career was, I was the director of acquisitions for a commercial real estate company uh, out of the East Coast, Washington, D.C. And um, it kind of kept me in check. You know, I was very, you know, grew up a risk taker and, was, you know, kind of had the entrepreneurial bug, but then got the job and, you know, liked the stability and the income and guaranteed paycheck and all that and got kind of accustomed to it. And um, it was a very, very risk averse company. So it helped balance out my natural tendencies to be a risk taker with my kind of learned fear of failure and mistakes and just kind of being a little more cautious as I journey through life. So I don't have any regrets. The eight or nine years I worked for that company was fantastic. It kind of helped me became, you know, the person and businessman I am and had a great mentor there who I still have a lot of respect for. And I don't know if I would have been as successful had I not done that first. So, you know, it's not like my walk of life was I was born an entrepreneur and just did that forever. Yeah. I think that's really good. It's not like you have to go straight into entrepreneurship. And if you're somebody who's in a career, you know, for you were there for 10 years, it's like, it's not like you've missed your boat on going in, starting a business of your own, right? It really just builds a foundation they can build upon. Well, and I had confidence and I've always been a, a saver. So, you know, for the first 10 years, you know, my wife and I put away half the money we made. So if my business failed, I wasn't like out on the street, you know, I could do something else or fall back and get another job. But building that cushion, it doesn't matter if you're going to be an entrepreneur or work for somebody else, but you can't always do that, especially out of college, but try to save half of what you make. It's kind of, and then you have the freedom to do whatever you want later on in life. Yeah, that's really good advice. So you were at your job for 10 years. What changed that got you curious about starting your own business and yeah, making a big pivot with your career. 
Well, for one, you know, I'd kind of built up a decent enough of a nest egg where it wasn't as fearful, right? Because I went into it knowing that, like, there's a chance that this fails. Uh, and again, this was the first business, the one before the ice business. And But, you know, having that, that cushion and the, the safety net gave me the ability to kind of try it out. Because again, worst case was I had to go get another job, but I wasn't spending my entire net worth. Just, you know, put some money in an investment and to see if it would work out. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad I did. It's changed my life. It'd be hard to go back and get a job now, but I'm humble enough to know that if things go south and people don't want to pay high dollars for fancy ice, then, you know, so be it. But hopefully I'll have enough of a, a nest egg and diversify enough where I don't have to, but I've always been pretty humble and I'm, I'd be okay going back and get another job. There's, there's pros and cons. I have friends who, you know, have regular jobs that make really good incomes and, you know, they work nine to five and then when their job's over, they can go do family stuff where, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, it's kind of 24 seven. But then the upside is I can take time off. Whenever things are running smoothly, I don't have to work. Like right now I'm, I'm not at work. You know, people are running the shop for me and I'm, I'm at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really good. And what type of business was your first business? It was an IT company. We did hardware as a service for small rural school districts. And again, I didn't start that. I, I bought into it, tried to be like an investor, and then ended up having to run it. And it wasn't the most fun business to run, but but I still own it. And it still provides income. It's not you know the majority of my income is the ice company, but you know it's still it's still running along, and I don't really have a whole lot to do with it. Nothing on the day to day, but. As an owner, as a partial owner, I still have to be involved in big picture stuff. But it's, it's not an exciting business to talk about. Hardware, we do hardware for uh, rules. That's kind of, that's it in a nutshell. It's important though. <laughs> it's important. Did you leave your job and go straight into that IT business? Or did you start out by making that investment before leaving your full-time W2 job? No, I... I actually, you know, it was all, it was a, it was a hard break. I couldn't do it. I was actually in a different city. I was living in DC and then the IT company was here in Dallas. So no, I quit my job, finished my lease, leased another house here. And I moved down to Texas, closed on the business the following day. I think, I think I moved down here on April 15th. And then by April 16th, we closed on the business and went from there. Yeah. Yeah, so it was a lot of change all at once. At that point, were you married with a family? Yeah, that we had a baby. So we had our th- we just had our third. That's part of the reason I wanted to get back down to Dallas. We'd uh, started a family, got married, started a family in D.C. and had our third kid. And my wife's family is from outside Chicago. My family's from Dallas. We live in D.C. We had no help, and I was like, okay, we kind of wait. You know, raise the white flag. We needed help from some one of our parents and uh, one set of our parents. And my wife's family is from a different. You know, they're engineers and lawyers and Chicago wasn't really a good fit at that point. So we decided to, by default, kind of headed down to Dallas. And my brother was a successful businessman and I wanted to kind of follow his footsteps. And we actually bought into that company together. And, you know, I was kind of thinking I'd ride his coattails and get a free ride and become a rich entrepreneur and had a, a quick awakening within, you know, a week or two of being in the business. And, you know, he's, was truly just an investor. And I ended up, you know, this was kind of a small thing for him and it was kind of my life. And so it, I was, uh, if it went bankrupt, I went bankrupt. Whereas neither of the other two partners, I mean, it would have had a negative impact on them, but it wouldn't have bankrupted them personally. And I was all in on it. You know, I had a little bit of money guaranteed almost a million dollars worth of debt. And it was, it was a stressful deal. And I'm glad to be past that stage in life though. Yeah. What do you feel like you learned from that first business that that's helped you with your next business? Oh man, that you 
you really control your own destiny. It doesn't matter how good of contact, unless, you know, you have a trust fund and people are, you know, giving you money just for being alive, that mm. you control your own, insta- insta- you control your own destiny for good or bad, right? Like, it could have easily gone, there were, you know, it, it could have gone south really quickly. And I worked as hard as I could and left the rest in God's hands. And it, it worked out in the end, but man, it was, it was the most stressful year of my life. I mean, it wasn't like I was suicidal or anything, but I was unhappy and life was miserable for the first year. That's a lot. I imagine too, when you've got a wife and kids that you're supporting, it's like, it's not just your savings. It's the livelihood of your whole family in a way that, uh, yeah, you're responsible for. At that stage in life, you know, we're out of college. We've both been working and saving, but still, you know, our net worth was, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollars maybe. And I'm guaranteeing a million dollars worth of debt. So I'm taking on debt that's five times my net worth. And so that's just... And that's against my nature. I'm, I mean, I'm a risk taker, but I've always been very low leverage. All, like the ice business, I have no investors, no debt. Started off just all cash. And again, I'd rather, I've learned that quality of life has more to do with your mental state than your than your checkbook, right? So yeah, uh, yeah everybody wants to succeed and have money, but like just not having the overwhelming debt, I'll take that over doubling my income any day of the year. Yeah. And it is like, you know, lots of people go into entrepreneurship because they want the financial freedom or freedom of their time. And it's like, if you have a business and you're not having those things, it's kind of like, what are you doing it for then? Right? Because <laughs> you might actually be happier with a W2. It's yeah, so it's good you recognize that, that you didn't want to keep things that way. Had I not had that personal guarantee on the debt, I probably would have walked within six months and gone and gotten another job. Yeah. But I was, I was personally on the hook for a lot of money. And so I couldn't let it fail. Yeah. After that first year, did things just get a lot easier or is that when you started the ice bath company? No, I mean, I think, well, it took about a money for the, it took about a year for the money to start coming in. And once the money started coming in, it made that times get a little easier. And I just, I learned more about what I was doing. And, you know, I bought into an IT company with zero IT experience whatsoever. So it was kind of like fake it till you make it. And like I said, the other partners were kind of more of financial partners and real active partners. So I was kind of the head person. It was a small company, but I, here I am, know nothing about IT, mid-20s and trying to run a small IT company and don't even really like IT. It was kind of, I, I wanted it to be more of an investment, but anyway, did what I had to do and made it work. Yeah. How long were you there before you started the ice bath company? The I. It's not ice bath. It's just the ice, the or, ice, I'm sorry, craft ice, ice cube. cube. <laughs> I had somebody just a little bit ago at an ice bath company on here. Yeah, but the first uh, time I heard it, I'm like cube. ice bath. Although that is a new phrase I hear. I'm not. I'm not manly enough to do it. I've I'm I've been all in on the ice baths for a little while, so they're in my mind. <laughs> but uh, I'm like, yeah, it would be like a thousand dollars worth of my ice to make fill a bathtub with it. So I don't think people are going to use it. Um, no, I I moved down and. Texas in 2000. Uh, I moved back to Texas in 2013. And then I started the ice company in 2017. So I was 100% in the IT company for about four years. And then there's been overlap ever since. But yeah, you know, I started making less in the IT company and more in the ice company, you know, probably three or four years ago. Yeah, maybe 2019 or something is when I started. Okay. Because the ice you sell is unique. Kind of explain, you know, what the type of ice is that you sell. And then uh, what got you curious about that niche? Uh, yeah, so the ice, you, I don't know if you've ever seen like a big ice block at like a fancy wedding where it's, a, you know, they do a perfectly, you know, carving and then they start off with a giant block and they carve it into a fancy swan or something like that for events and trade shows and whatnot. And it's the same type of ice. It's these big giant blocks of ice that 
that weigh about 300, 350 pounds, and but they're perfectly clear. And then we cut them all up, and they're they're at high end cocktail bars and uh, even kind of you know Irish pubs. It's not just for the the highest end places anymore. But so when you go go out and get an old fashioned, it has that that clear cube in there. The bar can't make that. Uh, they have to buy it just because of physics and the amount of space it takes up. There's no machines that make perfectly clear cubes that are that big. Uh, so it's, it's a very laborious process to to create the ice. Um, and what the second part of the question is how I got interested in it is I had ice that was cut from a block on vacation once. Secret location, can't tell where it was. But <laughs> I saw saw blade marks on the ice cube. And I'm sitting there in, in my in my drink, and I'm just noticing the ice is bigger and it's not melting, and it's just a better type of ice. And I and I pull out the the ice. I look in the ice chest and I see the other ice, and that has like saw blade marks on it. And I was just so fascinated by it. I'm like, I never knew. I mean, you know, I was 35 years old at that point, and I'm like, I never knew that there was a better type of ice. I can't wait to get home and, and find it. And sure enough, it, there wasn't an ice company in Dallas that did it. And I'm like, oh, well, I really wanted this ice. I'm like, I'm going to make it myself. And I learned the process to make it. And that's when it clicked as a potential business model because it takes up so much square footage. The fundamentals of rental real estate for these restaurants and stuff, it's just, it'd be too expensive per square foot to pay rent to produce the ice yourself. And once you start manufacturing it, then you're going to create way more than you want to, than you're going to be able to use. And then, so it's just, it's not viable to, produce the ice yourself as a restaurant unless you want to get into the ice business and sell all your extra ice but you know there's there's the liability it's dangerous and it's all cut with saws and all that so i mean in dallas there's six or seven thousand bars and restaurants and there's not one that makes the ice themselves they have they have to buy it from me or one of my competitors but real quick uh, going backwards when i first found the ice i'm showing you when i noticed that the ice was better i was at a grocery store and I'm waiting in line and somebody's paying with their nickels and dimes and coupons. And so I'm waiting and being impatient. And I, I have a bag of ice in my hands and it was, you know, $1.99 for a 10 pound bag. And I look over at the ice merchandiser and I see next to it, another ice merchandiser that says seven pounds for two ninety nine. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm normally, I just go for the cheapest thing, right? I'm, I'm a, I'm a frugal, thrifty business guy, whatever. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to splurge. I'm going to pay that extra buck for less ice and see what I get. And I did that and I forgot about it. And the ice, you know, you couldn't see the ice through the bag. It had a label on it. And I, I dumped the ice directly in a cooler and, you know, headed to the beach a couple hours later. And it, it was, you know, several hours later that I noticed it in my drink that it was not melting and then looked at the ice cube itself and saw the salt marks on it. But it was that, that curiosity for me and that, that, little risk of I'm going to waste this extra dollar and see what's better about a more expensive, smaller bag of ice. And that kind of changed my life. Just that one, like, cause I had, I, if, if the person in front of me hadn't been paying with coupons and pulling out nickels and dimes to get through the checkout line, I wouldn't have even looked over at the ice thing, let alone notice that there was a, an ice that was more expensive for less of it. That goes against everything in my nature to pay more to get less of something, but I'm glad I did it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's like I would never have thought that there's different qualities of ice. It's like it's just ice, right? There's but uh huh, interesting. Well that, that's what's happened in the that's what's happened in the ice industry. It's, as re commercial refrigeration has gotten more popular, uh, the quality of the ice has just gotten to, you know, the margins are no good anymore and it's just who can produce the most, the fastest and nobody cares about quality, but in the old days Ice, when it was harvested from lakes, was a very expensive luxury item, and it was perfectly clear, and it was served in big pieces. 
not as big as we're doing now in cocktail bars, but it was a much better quality ice when it was harvested from the lakes than it is when, you know, commercial refrigeration came along. So I, this, everybody thinks this whole clear ice thing is a new concept. Well, if you were to get a cocktail at a, at a speakeasy hundred years ago during prohibition, it would have been a perfectly clear ice cube that was big and substantive and melted slowly. So everybody else doing the ice business is kind of new and modern with their themes and logos. And I picked, you know, everything in the old days was, you know, Johnson brothers plumbing or Wilson, you know, Wilson and sons heating and, you know, heating company or whatever. So I kind of went with the old throwback. My logo is kind of old fashioned, you know, Howard and sons is kind of an old fashioned thing and being business. I'm not like egotistical, but being a, a business to business, I'm selling a commodity. It's a luxury item, but having that name recognition with my customers, like, oh yeah, I know, I know how they all think my first name's Howard. It's actually my last name, but having that, you know, the name tied to the product gives me a differentiation that my competitors don't have. But yeah, anyway, interesting. So, yeah, that's because you. Yeah, I was, I was wondering about that name because you're you don't have a son that's involved in the business right now. You do have kids, correct? I well, I do. I have I have well, I have seven children. And I have four sons, and two of them, two of them help in the summers and uh, you know in their free time with uh, doing the business so they helped from the very beginning like even with my packaging like we were putting stamps on boxes and my kids would do that and my oldest kid in particular really likes the he likes being in a freezer so yeah i, I let him i let him cut and that's cool help out now unfortunately unfortunately sports and school kind of get in the way i kind of thought that you know my kids are going to be you know hustling in right after school and, and you help them with the business and it hadn't turned into that yet, but I think once once my oldest gets his driver's license and then he can drive he and his brother down, I, I expect them to get some more hours in. So um, that's awesome. Yeah, no, they're involved but on a full-time basis yet. Yeah. Wow, seven kids. I would not have thought you were old enough to have kids that would be working. Yeah, that's awesome. Seven kids. So when you you started to find this ice concept, right? It sparked your curiosity. Were you looking for another opportunity? Like had things at the IT business gotten so just running themselves that you were looking for what's next? Or were you just, yeah, what kind of got you curious to even start another business? Uh, I was definitely looking for something else. The ice business, the partnership, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the IT business, the partnership had kind of run its path. We had long-term contracts, so we still had to honor them and service them and you know try to renew and possibly get new ones. But my passion for it was kind of non-existent at that point you know, the partnership was just not going smoothly at all. I was the only one of the three working and my salary was nominal. So we would split profits three ways, but, but my, my salary was nominal. So I was working you know, a lot of hours and it was my sole deal. And I got paid 50 grand a year for that. And then everybody, and then all the profits were split three ways with, you know, no one else really putting in any hours. So and there were, there were a number of things and just the industry itself isn't fun. I wanted to do something I enjoyed more. So I, I kind of had my eyes open and was looking for other opportunities when the ice thing stumbled across my, my lap. But again, when I first saw the ice, I didn't think of it as a business opportunity because who would, right? I and mean, I like great ice, but it was really, I knew I was in a good market for it. Dallas is such a prestigious, like CB scene, pretentious kind of, once one buddy, once somebody does something, everybody else follows suit. So I'm like, man, if this business fails in Dallas, I won't look back and be like, ah, oh, if I'd have started in another city, maybe it would have worked. But I knew I was in the right market to try it. And again, I had guaranteed income from these contracts and stuff from the other companies. So again, I didn't risk everything. I mean, not one family member or friend thought it was a good idea, but my wife stood behind me and she agreed. She's like, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And I had the same, you know, I wasn't 
overly confident that this was just gonna go gangbusters and be a success but what did i have to lose like i wasn't really happy in the old company even though i had the money coming in and at that point i wasn't working crazy hours but i wasn't fulfilled i didn't enjoy what i was doing and and my wife kind of saw that and she was supportive even though deep down i'm sure she probably thought it was crazy too but she knows that i'm smart enough financially to not throw everything at it you know when i first started it you know, it was a thousand bucks. Like my initial investment was like 10 grand. Like it wasn't that meaningful. So had we lost, it w- I would have lost time and I would have lost a little bit of money, but I probably could have sold the equipment. Like it, it just wasn't a big gamble, but everybody else thought it was yeah. just, you know, such a harebrained idea. But I'm like, people are going to want this. Because I just personally, it wasn't a business. I- it became a business idea second. It was after this passion for just a better ice. I'm like, this is great. Yeah, That's a coincidence. I don't recommend people trying to make a living out of their passion. I, I think I got very lucky that those two over, overlapped. And I think in general, it's a bad idea to try, com, try to make a living out of your passion. I mean, that's contrary to what other people are going to tell you. But I mean, if you're an artist and you love art, then people are telling you to go make a living selling art. I'd steer you otherwise. But it was, I had enough business sense to think, okay, this new passion of mine, Ice, really could work. And... Again, it's not like I threw anything away. I didn't mortgage the house to take out a loan to pay for it. It was just, yeah, I just started doing it. Yeah, it was something you were curious about. And if you have other sources yeah. of income, you can kind of do whatever you want in life. And I chose another business and it worked out really well because the IT and the IT money's gone down and simultaneously the, the ice business is going up. So this is what I make my living doing now. Yeah. Wow. So what did the start of the business look like? Was it easy to develop the process to make these cubes and just start distributing it? Or was it, uh, yeah, was it lots of trial and error to figure out the right way to make these, package them, deliver them? It's still trial and error. I'm seven years yeah. in and I'm, I'm developing new packaging and new techniques to cut and all that. And you know, at least now I have a facility to operate out of. But when I started, it was back in my house. It was in a carport. I bought a a walk a small walk-in freezer from an auction from a bankrupt barbecue place and cut all the product in a six by six square foot freezer underneath my carport in my backyard. Tried to get with a distributor, but nobody wanted to be with somebody that small. And so I started building up my own customer base and doing my own distribution. Sure enough, I mean, I have a competitor who out of Oklahoma who uses the distributors that you can get, you know, through US Foods and Cisco and all the big line, big line distributors and do that you lose half the profit and the distributions it's a very specific thing and i don't mind that part of the business i kind of like it now it it limits me on you know my regionality and how far out i can go but man i mean half of my profits in, in the distribution side of the business so we do everything from the beginning to end and by me failing at getting a distributor you know i originally thought i'm just going to produce the item produce a product and get a distributor when that didn't work i was like okay fine screw you guys i'll do it myself you know like a I started. I, I started feeding a lot of information to a distributor here called Benny Keith, and they, uh, oh no, we're not interested. We're not interested. You know, it's you know interesting, but not a good fit for us. And then so I'm like, okay, fine. I don't need you guys. I'll do it myself. And then sure enough, they start distributing a competitor's product after I'd fed them all the information about the industry and what the profit margins are and all that. But luckily, they don't. They don't have like a sliver of the margin of this this niche product. They're a huge company, and they're just focused on other things. But yeah, they started distributing my competing product. And yeah, I just, you know, I'm glad not to be dependent upon a distributor to, to make a living. Yeah, I think that's really good, too, to just like recognize some of those, you know, we think they're failures at the time. They really helped put you on a path that was much better. 
in the long run, right? It, it just provided more opportunity by not having that work out right off the bat. That's really great. How has it been managing, you know, you've got two businesses now and seven kids managing just the practicality of that? <laughs> you know, the the IT business pretty much runs itself. I get involved with contracts yeah. and big picture stuff. And again, that's a tiny company. I mean, there, there's only two employees, but they kind of do everything and they're partial owners as well. So that company doesn't take a ton of my time. Mm-hmm. The, the kids and the wife takes a lot of time. And then and in my business, you know, it's 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 full time. You know, I, I'm getting to the point where it's getting bigger and I'm trying to step away a little bit and focus on bigger picture, whether I grow and go to another city or diversify and, you know, get involved in another business. But, it, you know, I still get pulled in on a regular basis. Sometimes I'm working, I'll go work a 14 hour day, but then I'll go a week without showing up at the actual facility. So it's, it, it's still pretty pretty demanding but no it all it all just works um unfortunately one thing i am not able to do at this stage in my life but i aspire to be able to do is live a scheduled life you know structure it and we're i'm not reacting but i'm just you know i'm proactive and i kind of plan my day and i'm still far from that that's kind of one of my personal goals is to get to where i'm not reacting i'm proactive and that basically i live a structured life with a schedule and I can tell my wife, oh, yes, I'll be home by six or, you know, just actually have a calendar that I stick to. Because I have a bunch of items on my calendar, but in this stage of life, it's just I'm always in flux. I'm always reacting. And I'm, you know, I, I think that's a fault, but it's just I've got a growing family and a growing business and it's challenging. Yeah, there's a lot of demands for your time. How big is your team right now for your ice business? Again, it's a small company as well. It's it's me and six other six other people. But luckily, it's structured in such a way. I have a great manager. I have a great manager, and he structured it to where all the other employees report to him. I was kind of setting it up to where, okay, you run production. This other guy runs the shop. This other guy runs the routes, and they'll all three. And then somebody else does the accounting, and they'll all four report to me. And then they'll have like assistance or whatever. And he's like, no, just have it all go through me. And he kind of pushed me to like let go of the reins a little bit. And, you know, is the best thing from that business that I've, that I've done is kind of give up the reins a little bit and put more of the responsibility on, on him. And so all the other, you know, there's, there's only six employees, but five of them report to one of them. And the one reports to me and it, and it simplifies my life significantly. Yeah, I think it's good, especially with leadership. It's like a lot of times it feels good to have everybody need you. Right. But uh, that ultimately just leads to even more demands on your time, right? It's like you need people to be able to solve their own problems. So that's incredible that you had a team member who just started to bring everybody to him and only brings the stuff that he can't solve up the next chain of command to you. Well, and again, and I have to give him the credit for that. I mean, it, even that in of itself, like me, it's not because I was so smart and I came up with the idea to structure it that way and to give him more responsibility. It was him pushing me and me realizing that like, okay, this guy's level-headed, he's smart, he's a hard worker, and he wants more opportunity, more growth, more responsibility, more money. And so I'm just kind of like, okay, do it. So I, I pay him more and he works more and he takes on more responsibility and it's it's a win-win. But again, it, it wasn't me who decided that. It was, it was him. It was his idea. But it was me at least having the open-mindedness to realize that like, even I'm the owner and I'm the, I'm the guy who started it. I took all the risk. I put in all the money to, you know, kind of humbly look at it and be like, this guy's got a better idea than you. Let him run with it. Yeah. Huh. That's really good. 
What do you feel like are some of the biggest struggles you've experienced over the seven years with, with your business? Um, other than vehicles breaking down on the route and you have, you know, thousands of dollars <laughs> worth of high-end ice that you've paid and produced and cut. And then when the vehicle breaks down, it starts melting and you only have like, you don't have much time once this stuff starts melting. Because a regular bag of ice, if it melts and it freezes back together, you throw it on the ground and you break it up and you're good. Well, that's if you're buying a $2 bag of ice. A regular bag of ice of mine is 30 bucks. So people don't want to throw a $30 bag of ice on the ground and break it back up. So you got a truck full of it, you know, it's a few thousand dollars and a tire blows out, whatnot. It's, it's stressful. Most stressful things are power outages because we have some generators, but not enough to run the whole facility. So we have alarms set up and power outages suck. Snowstorms, power outages. That, that's, that's the worst. Yeah, and yeah, I'm sure you go through a ton of power keeping everything cold. So that's important. That's probably a pretty big space that you have refrigerated because people have to fit in there to go cut the ice. Yeah, yeah, no, it's and I'm, yeah. unfortunately, you know, when I, when I built it out a few years ago, it wasn't big enough. So now I got to build another one or expand this one. And yeah, it's freezer space is, is too expensive to rent. It's cheaper to just have space and build it yourself. So I've built freezers in in my in my building and. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to get stuck renting freezer space. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. What have you done over the years to set your goals and you know make sure they actually come together? Are you somebody who writes everything down or I don't know, vision board? Do you put your goals no, in no. writing? What advice do you have for people there? <laughs> no, no. I listen to Connell's podcast of you thinking about goals and stuff, but I'll be honest, I've never. Never really set goals. I probably should. I'm sure I'd be more successful if I did. But no, I've never, never really done that. I don't budget either. Like for personal, I just have a overreaching rule of thumb to spend less than I make. And my wife's kind of the same, same way. And frugal, thrifty, whatever you want to call it. We we spend money and we have a good time. But we eat well, we drink well. But I just know that if I'm making more than I'm spending, I'm gonna have enough to retire, right? And Maybe I'm too casual, too lackadaisical, but you know I'm not one of those driven guys. I don't wake up at 4:30 in the morning and read the Wall Street Journal for an hour before I go to daily mass. Like I mean, I try to read, I try to go to mass, I try to do these things, but um, I'm not one of these hyper organized, driven. Get up at 4:30, write my goals down every quarter. Yeah, and I'm I'm not proud of it, but I will say I don't think I've ever written my goals down. Maybe once. Advice, but mm-hmm. it's not a regular part of my year. Yeah. yeah. But you've been able to keep yourself on track and probably a great thing to do. I just yeah, well, never made it a priority to, I just, I want to grow and I want to be grow spiritually. I want to grow from a business standpoint. I want to grow from a father standpoint, from a husband standpoint. And deep down, I think I know what I need to do, you know, what those hurdles are, what the obstacles are. And they're probably, you know, they're fresh on my mind enough where I don't need them on paper. But again, I don't want to discourage other people from doing it because I think that's the norm for successful entrepreneurs is to to, to live, you know, to have that structure, to have those goals and have it on paper. Um, it was funny to hear Connell talking about it because I thought of him as more like myself. But then when he was talking about that, it was like, I realized that we're kind of different, but I was almost, I was intrigued by it. And I, I want to talk to him about it, but I haven't as far as what that's done for him since he started doing that. Yeah. Well, if you're looking for a planner to guide you through how to put it all together, <laughs> you can check out uh, my goal crazy planner. But uh, it's hard for you realizing that like 
obviously we're totally, I mean, you have a goal planning like thing. And here I'm saying I've never written a goal down on a piece of paper. Is it, is it weird? Or are you kind of like, oh man, if, if this guy was able to actually stru- you know, structure his life and set these goals, he'd be way more successful. Oh, no, I, I think like at the end of the day, it's kind of as we were talking about with your business earlier, it's like, ultimately, you're just creating the lifestyle you want. And it's like, if you if you have that, it's not like, you know, going out and trying to force things to be bigger and better doesn't need to happen just for the sake of them being bigger or better, right? It's like, if you have what you want, and it's working, like, that's ultimately the goal, right? It's, I think some people probably need more focus and attention to make those things happen than others. And, uh, I think it can be really powerful when we're, when you're talking about like being proactive versus reactive. I know for me, like when I can pull things out of my head and schedule them in advance and have just like clarity on paper, it helps me be a lot more proactive than reactive because yeah, there's a lot of things in your head. It's, you know, one of like my routines is when I plan my week out every month, I'll set a timer for two and a half minutes and I just dump everything out of my head, like things I need to do today, this week, this month, ideas for the future. And it's like, I can put a list of 40 things down on paper and then I sort through it all. But it's like, that's a lot of things that are bouncing around in my head that if like, that's for me, that just leads to overwhelm and stress, right? It's like, if somebody gave anyone a list of 40 things to do and said, Hey, here's a list, keep track of them. If you forget one, there's going to be a consequence. It's like, of course that would lead to stress, right? It's like when I can pull it out and have a clear system that I know works for me and say like, okay, I've got four things that need my attention today in a written plan to get these all addressed. It just brings clarity. Yeah. I wake up at three in the morning and send myself emails. <laughs> yeah. 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 Emails come in. They uh, remind you of lots of things that need your focus. No, I'm saying I send myself emails. Oh, you send yourself emails. That's reminders of like things to do the next day because putting it on my calendar, might I might not have a chance to look at my calendar, but I'll I'll glance through my emails at least. So, oh, I forgot about that thing that I remembered at three in the morning. Yeah. Hey, I think that's a good habit to be in. It's like, because I know if I don't, if I have something in the middle of the night, if I don't write it down somewhere, I'm going to end up just stirring on it all night long. Like I have to remember to give this person a call or I need to pay that bill. Just it's something tiny, but I'll, yeah, it's like, okay, I know I'll see this now. I know I have it somewhere. So yeah, I mean, that, that works, right? It, it lets your mind relax with it. What do you think are some advantages pieces of advice you'd give to people who are getting started with a business or maybe thinking about starting a business? Save, have build yourself a cushion. I mean, like maybe it's a little too unrealistic. You know, somebody wants to get started at a younger age, but like, can you live a year without a job? You know, maybe that's good for somebody my age, if you're 40 and with a family, but you know, say if you're, 25 out of college and you've worked for a couple of years and you want to start your own thing, maybe six months and you live for six months without a job, just build that cushion. And then, then it, it just takes away all the stress and it might take a few years to build that cushion, but obviously the more you make and the less you spend, that's all, that's what it's all about. You can build a cushion. Even if you have a low paying job, you just have to be disciplined. Yeah. And I think what you brought to the earlier of like, you guys were putting 50% of your income aside. And, and I said, it doesn't sound like you have like a super formal budget, but I'll tell you, that's a really good habit to be in. You know, it's uh, most people who don't have a budget, they real they don't even realize they're spending more than they make. Right. And then that's, that's where it starts leading to problems, credit cards, debt, and it makes it really hard to do other things in the future. So that's incredible. Yeah. 50% is a rule of thumb. I don't know if, I mean, 
we've ever really only spent 50%, but it's a good goal. And even if you end yeah. up spending 70% of what you make, but you put away 30, just make sure that that 30 to 50% is a substantive number and it's not nothing or negative. You know, just make sure you're putting away a substantive amount. It doesn't have to be half. I mean, if you're, if you're married and you're, you know, you're, you know, you got one income and your wife's raising little kids and you're a school teacher and you're making, you know, 50 grand a year, it's going to be really hard to save half of that. But save something, you know, save 10%. Do something to build up a cushion so where you can live for six months to a year. Yeah, that's good. And I think especially when you start to save that, being able to invest in cash producing assets, right? Like you had your business that was at the time, like you could support yourself and your family off of your IT business and have a decent amount of time available. And that brought you a lot of opportunities. I can't remember how much we talked on our call the other day, but before I left my job, I had a, I bought a four unit apartment building and I could live there and make enough money off of my other units that I could cover all of my expenses. And it was like, that gave me a decent peace of mind. I mean, at the time I was single, so my expenses were very low, but uh, it's like, I, I had saved up cash. I could leave my job and it's like, I could support myself as I needed to, you know, for as long as it took for me to get my business to the point where it was earning me more money. You know what I mean? And it's... That was you or somebody that you interviewed? Uh, that was me. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Congrats. Yeah, no, I don't... I yeah. have a few pieces of real estate, but I've always... I've looked at fourplexes. I think that would be really, really a neat thing to, to get into. Yeah. I've been a fan of real estate. It's been a good opportunity for investing. So yeah, I think that's a good piece of advice. Start saving. I think especially if you can start investing into things that'll produce cash, that's, that's good. But uh, I know... The other day you were telling me just like the importance of going out and taking action on things. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Look, I've never worked for a big company, but most of my friends have. And you just hear over and over and, and I see it, you know, being involved with whatever involvement I've had with big companies, but just how much time people spend meeting and talking and discussing and yada yada and no and just a lack of action. Nobody's doing anything. People are just talking about things. You can do the wrong thing and then go back and fix it and do something else probably faster and more efficiently than if you talked about it for six months planning it out to, to come up with a perfect plan of action. Like, I don't know, don't be afraid to make some mistakes. I mean, don't bet the farm on it, but like, you know, just go with your gut. If you have a good gut and you've, you know, had success in the past, kind of trust your instincts and just take action. Like, because once you start meeting and having all the discussions and then something is in somebody else's court, I mean, how often do you drop the ball on something because it's in somebody else's court? Just put it in your court. And then if it has to go in somebody else's court, push them to put it back in your court. Just do things, more action, less talk. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I feel like action just brings so much clarity for me. Yeah, and even some you'll make, I mean, you'll make bad decisions every now and then and just, make sure that they're not bad enough where you're, you know, losing the farm, but you're, uh, you're nobody bats a hundred percent. You're going to make mistakes, but better to make a, take a hundred actions than meet before each action and only take 10 actions. Because even when you meet before it, you're still going to get it wrong. We'll use the number 10% of the time. So I'd rather take a hundred actions, miss on 10 and get 90, right. than take 10 actions and really plan it out. I'm still going to fail on one of them. So then I'm going to get nine. You know, maybe you get nine and a half right. Maybe it is a little bit better when you spend all that time meeting and discussing and planning out everything in advance. But 
you know, my, it drives my dad crazy. He's a perfectionist. He won't, like when it comes to my delivery vehicles, you know, he wants to wire everything perfectly for the alternator and all this. I'm like, well, what's the worst case? He's like, well, the alternator could go out on you. It's like, how much does an alternator cost? Three, maybe for that car, $400 plus labor. You're at $600. I'm like, I can go deliver $600 with ice in two hours. Like, let's just get it all, let's get the wiring done. I don't care if it's too overkill or underkill. If I made a mistake, I'll remember that mistake and next time I'll do it right. But like, let's just start moving. Let's get this ice out. And I don't care if it's wired perfectly. If it fails, it fails and I fix it. But we're wasting money by talking about it. Drives my dad nuts because he's an engineer, a perfectionist, and you know he helps me in the business with some stuff, and it drives him nuts. But I'm like, Dad, I wouldn't, we wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't have you know this this many people in these trucks and this business if I didn't operate the way I operate. Yeah, it's like you probably wouldn't have had the like if you just didn't go out and buy that freezer and put it outside and start trying to make ice. It's like you could have spent years trying to figure out the perfect process before actually taking action. I think a lot of times people try and figure out the perfect thing. And then that's where they, it's where they stop. I saw this, uh, I remember what book it was, but it was this bell curve of like, it showed people's, I think it was their education level and how much they earned. And it was a bell curve. As people got too overly educated, they, they wouldn't earn more because they would, they would see all the risks and they would, I don't know, they just wouldn't go out and earn more. It's kind of like you have to have this perfect amount of like, okay, I know what the next step is to take, but if I try and figure everything out, it's not going to help me. It's just going to put me in a place where I can't make a decision. Yeah, I like it. That's interesting. I've never seen that that study or the bell curve, but it makes sense to me just based on my firsthand experiences. Like there might be some correlation and maybe it is the bell curve thing, but the smartest people I know are not the richest and the richest people are definitely not the smartest. Like it's, it's interesting. It's more of just personality traits. Than just intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. You need to take those risks. And it's like, if you try and solve it all in advance, like I've lost audio. Yeah. You if you try and solve it all in advance. You won't be able to take the risk you need to. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. But, um, all right. Hey, I appreciate you coming on here and sharing about your, your story, just how you've been able to, do all these different things. It's a unique business and it's really exciting to hear it's been growing and sharing people to go follow their, you know, unique passions, whether they follow their passion or not. I know you don't really recommend towards that, but uh, it's inspiring either way. What's the best way for people to well, really I mean, kind of learn more about your business? And uh, Unfortunately, my website needs to be updated. You can go to blockcutblockcut.com. Okay. You know, somebody will answer that phone, but best way to reach me is <laughs> email or, or, or texting. Again, my social media presence is pretty lacking. It didn't do me much good for the business. And I'm naturally not a, um, I don't have a desire for the social social media thing. So uh, I'm not active yeah. at all on social media, but uh, I'm very communicative via email and text, both of which you can find yeah. on the website. Right. Yeah, I'll put, uh, put that there in the show notes. And uh, hey, I really appreciate you coming on, Steve. All right, yeah. Nice meeting you, Jason. 